This episode features depictions of graphic violence and a brief reference to enslavement. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Serpapard. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Egyptian and Mesopotamian myths and legends for dramatic effect. Hello, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week, we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the cultures they terrorized. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last week, we explored the Celestial Nile, a divine version of Egypt's font of life, the 4,000-mile-long Nile River. Today, we ride away from the water and into the desert, towards one of Egypt's greatest rivals, the Hittite Empire, a nation that spanned all of modern-day Syria and Lebanon. Though they competed for land and resources, the Hittites and the Egyptians could agree on one thing. Their fear and respect of a beast that stalked the desert between their two countries. It was a deadly leopard with the long neck of a snake, the picture of feline strength and serpentine speed. This creature appears in art from both empires and in many eras, but there's no word for it in Egyptian, Hittite, or any other Mesopotamian language. It is a beast so frightening that no one would dare write its name. Coming up, a king's hunting trip goes horribly wrong. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A leopard with the neck of a serpent. Archaeologists spotted this mysterious creature on artwork from both Egypt and Mesopotamia. Sometimes it appeared on signs of protection. Welcome to our village, the text said, with the long-necked monster snarling below it wordlessly adding the most important part of the message, behave. 
But in Egypt, it was much more common to find depictions of the beast in battle or in chains, subdued by a powerful warrior or god. This is unsurprising considering the monster's connection to Mesopotamia. Most ancient Egyptians viewed outsiders as inherently dangerous, a threat to their way of life. Creating art of the pharaoh besting a Mesopotamian beast allowed the artist to imply that the pharaoh had nothing to fear from even the worst monster the foreigners could offer. This one does cut a frightening figure. It's built like a leopard, sometimes without spots. The feline throat extends into a scaly, snake-like neck before ending in a feline head with razor-sharp fangs. Despite its imposing design, there are no written legends about it, and the beast's name has been lost to time. Modern archaeologists and art historians have taken to calling it the Serpapard, a portmanteau of serpent and leopard. It might seem odd that we have to make up a name for such an old monster, but it's also important to remember that the ancient Egyptians believed that drawing or even writing the name of a being could give them power in this life and the next. It's why they frequently tried to erase the names of their political enemies. There were many casualties of this. The most notable were the first femme pharaoh, Hatshepsut, and the zealot pharaoh, Akhenaten, who sought to dissolve Egypt's polytheistic belief system in favor of monotheistic sun worship. It wasn't that the serpapard was forgettable, it's that the Egyptians wanted to forget. Ebi did not like to see the boy king in pain. The young Tut had a club foot and the other was flat. This gave him a rolling, wobbly gait, even when he leaned on his walking stick. Long ago, Ebi had put together a harness that Tut could ride at the front of the chariot comfortably, picking off his enemies as he went. It made things a little easier, but certainly not easy. For instance, it didn't help very much with rough ground. Tut bounced along the dunes near the Dead Sea, stifling winces as they rattled along. Ebi did not like to see the boy king in pain, and the boy king was always in pain. Ebi reached forward to take the reins from him. Tutankhamun, this is not wise. Tut always seemed younger when he was upset. He looked 12 rather than 19. I am a font of wisdom. I am God on earth, and we need to catch that spy. He puts our entire army in danger. Tut had demanded Ebi help him chase the Hittite man they'd seen skulking around the edges of their desert encampment. They rode after the man, leaving the great army of Egypt miles behind them. This was an unfortunate side effect of Tut's special chariot. His light weight allowed them to outpace the pharaoh's guard and then some. Ebi very much wanted to turn around, or at least stop. Their camp might be difficult to find if the wind erased their tracks. At night, the wash of light blue sky became a map Ebi fully understood, a field of pristine stars. But under the scorching sun of the afternoon, sand always looked like sand. Ebi sighed. In another life, he'd been a great warrior, but that had been before Tut's father lost his mind. Before Akhenaten tried to tear down the gods and water his desert city with children's blood, Ebi still shivered at the thought of Akhenaten's folly, a settlement devoted to the sun and the sun only, constructed by children who died in droves. Easier to control, the pharaoh had said. 
When the wild-eyed king told Eby he needed his help for his young son, his sick son, Eby had said yes. At least someone's child could be saved. He hoped it would be a new chance for Egypt. But now they were both going to die in the desert. Perhaps Tut was more like his father than Eby had thought. The advisor lowered his voice, even though there was no one around. The Hittite is one man in the red sands, Tut. The desert will get him, or something worse. We should not join him. For a moment, Tut looked the way Eby knew him best. Reasonable, kind. The boy who admitted his faults and cared for his people. And when he spoke, Eby almost heard it in his voice, too. Just over in the next dune. We've come all this way. Eby realized how this might look to the men who had seen them leaving camp. If Tut did not return triumphant, his actions would be seen as foolhardy. Even if they were, the implications were dangerous for both of them. Guards weren't expected to outlive their kings. Time seemed to slow as Eby raised his eyes to the horizon. He caught the tiny silhouette of a man moving over the sand. There was only one person it could be. Tut crowed in triumph. The little boy that Eby loved had disappeared again. And you wanted to turn back. Tut cracked the reins. The spy was as good as theirs. But something strange was going on. The man was running toward them. Something was following him, a large feline silhouette, low to the ground like a leopard, but with a thick tail whipping behind it. All signs of merriment left Tut's voice. What is that? E.B. answered simply, something worse. E.B. slowed the chariot to a stop, not wanting to engage unless his king commanded. The spy screamed as he ran, his beard stained with sweat and gore. Blood flowed from a wound on his shoulder. He begged for their help. As the dark shape crested the closest dune, Eby understood why the man had completely forgotten the enmity between their two kingdoms. Eby had seen leopards and lions in the past. He'd been on many hunting expeditions to lands like this. This thing was far bigger than any beast he'd seen before. It was low to the ground, each muscle undulating as its broad paws raced over the sand. Tut drew his bow and knocked an arrow. Eby eyed his king. Are we hunting spies or cats? Tut smiled. Both. Bring me closer. Eby urged the horses to a trot and then a gallop. He felt the wheels of the chariot rattling beneath him as they sped across the tightly packed sand. He resisted the urge to reach out to steady Tut as the boy king drew back his bowstring and let his arrow fly. The bolt struck the leopard's flank. It bucked and shook itself, pausing its pursuit to survey the damage. Tut let out another cry of victory. But E.B. wasn't ready to celebrate. It was the way the beast examined the injury that made E.B. pause. Instead of turning, the animal's head lifted from its shoulders and twisted around, revealing a coiled serpentine neck. E.B. had heard stories of a creature like this. He dismissed them as the nightmares of soldiers who'd stood too long in the sun. Tut's voice shook ever so slightly as he adjusted his weight in the harness and knocked another arrow. All right, a more interesting target, that's all. 
The man was getting ever closer, and the beast began its chase once again. E.B. looked at Tot. It took every bit of his self-control to keep himself from pulling on the reins to start their rapid retreat. Keeping his voice level, he asked, "'May we return to camp, my pharaoh?' Tut kept his bow trained on the beast, but E.B. had known the boy long enough to know he was terrified. E.B. didn't blame him. To the advisor's relief, the boy king nodded his agreement. E.B. snapped the reins. He guided the chariot in a wide arc back towards the hoofprints they'd left behind them. He could only hope the winds had been kind. The beast was gaining on them, seemingly uninterested in the ragged Hittite. Eby kept his eyes on their escape route as Tut turned in his harness to fire off another arrow. The shot went wide, so did the next, and the next. Stop wasting arrows, we may need them. Eby had forgotten to control the tone of his voice. He sounded gruff as he ordered the boy he'd raised rather than the king he served. He didn't need to see Tut to know the 19-year-old had bristled. The boy turned to speak to him, but it wouldn't matter. The beast was nearly upon them. Eby gave the horses another snap on the reins. They would have made it if their pursuer didn't have a serpentine neck. The bloody jaws darted forward, fast as a cobra. It snapped at one of the horses. The horse panicked and changed direction. It crashed into the other horses, sending them tumbling over each other. The chariot upended, and for an instant, Eby felt weightless, whistling in the wind as the horses and the monster screamed. Then the world exploded around them, a rush of splinters and screaming horses. Eby grabbed his king, trying to shield the boy's vulnerable frame with his. They arced through the air and slammed into the sand. Then everything went dark. Coming up, the Serpapard beast has its first meal. The floorboards creak. The walls, they moan. The house seems vacant, but you're not alone. This October, Parcast invites you to celebrate the spookiness of the Halloween season with all new episodes of Haunted Places. From an infamous murder farm in Indiana to the ghostly tombs and palaces of ancient Egypt, visit the world's most haunted destinations and find out what happens when a soul leaves the body but doesn't leave the grounds. Enjoy new episodes of Haunted Places all month long, free, and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. E.B. was ashamed to admit that when he awoke, his first thought was not of his king. It was not of the horses either, or the broken chariot, or the Hittite spy, or even of the strange beast that had attacked them. 
No, his first thought was of himself, of how he did not want to die so far from home unpreserved, his soul to be eaten by the monsters that prowled the underworld below them. Eby shook his head as he sat up. Tut was the most important thing in the world right now. He had to get the boy king home in one piece, living or dead. Gods above and below, he prayed the king was alive. He crawled over to Tut's prone form. My pharaoh, can you hear me? The boy groaned, reaching out for Eby, who let him take his hand. Eby's eyes lingered on Tut's right side. His torso was caved slightly inward, more than a broken rib or two. Tut's voice was choking and wheezing. Where, where's the villain? Eby couldn't help but laugh. He's the least of our worries. The chariot needed repairs he wasn't sure he could accomplish, especially with that thing prowling around. Tut winced as he pushed himself up to standing. At least night is coming, Eby nodded. Only in the desert was that a good thing. Tut looked out onto the darkening sky. Why did the beast let us go? It could have eaten us while we were unconscious. Eby shrugged. We will thank Bastet, Horus, and all the gods when we reach Memphis. Now we must make ready for another attack. Eby brought the king his bow, asking him to keep an eye out as he prepared a camp. There was little wood to find, so he cannibalized one of the ceremonial attachments to the chariot, offering up an apologetic prayer to Sekhmet as he did so. He hoped the goddess of the hunt would understand. He drew the three remaining horses close to them and salvaged what remained of their feed and water. He thanked the gods that he had overpacked. Night fell in earnest, and Eby set about making a small meal for him and the pharaoh. Tut teased him. Why do I need you, Shabti, in the afterlife when I have you? Eby laughed at the thought of the many effigies of Tut that would be buried with him. They were expected to be eternal servants, catering to the king's every whim. He replied, I will gladly serve my pharaoh in the hereafter, but let me not be surrounded by so many of you. One Tut is enough. Tut smirked and opened his mouth to retort, but before he could speak, a shape stumbled out of the dark. Eby drew his blade in a flash. The Hittite looked even more ragged in the firelight. His brown eyes were bloodshot and his lips were chapped. His thick beard caked with blood and his light leather ripped in two where his bloody shoulder met his neck. The Hittite threw himself in front of the boy king, arms outstretched in supplication. Please, Pharaoh, I beg your mercy. You may kill me if you wish, but please don't leave me to the beast in the sands. Tut considered the man. You and your people have brought chaos to my lands tenfold. I would not be in this cursed desert if not for your duplicity. Perhaps we should leave you as bait in the next valley. It is your beast after all, is it not? The Hittite bowed even deeper, touching his nose to the ground. We can no more claim it than we do the sandstorms or the searing sun, my lord. Please, Pharaoh, it is best for us to work together to escape this nightmare. Eby poked the fire. He's not wrong, my king. Two men on watch is better than one. Eby would never ask his king to do anything other than sleep through the night. Tut groaned. 
fine then. A truce until the chariot is repaired. Do not think I will think anything of lashing you to it when I see fit. The Hittite lifted his head ever so slightly. Yes, Pharaoh. Thank you, Pharaoh. He kissed the king's feet, offering up prayers for his health. Ebi could tell that Tut was getting impatient and self-conscious. He didn't like anyone touching his feet. They caused him enough pain as it was. So Ebi spoke for him. Enough of that. The Hittite got up quickly. Now that he'd finished groveling, he didn't seem to know what to do with himself. Ebi nodded to the seat beside him. You watch, I'll work. He took up the pieces of the chariot. It wasn't long before Tut spoke again. If the beast is not Hittite, what is it then? The Hittite perked up and began to speak, but Ebi cut him off. It is a creature with no name, my king. We shall not give it one when it may still be hunting us. The Hittite looked confused. Ebi didn't feel like explaining. Names had power in Egypt. There was no value in a foreigner learning how much. Tut sighed and laid back on the ground. Ebi could tell he was hurting, but Tut would never show it in front of an enemy. The boy king pulled his bow and quiver close to him. I must rest now. The sun cannot rise without me. Good night, Ebi. Good night, spy. Ebi and the Hittite did not speak as they kept watch. Ebi disliked small talk, and the Hittite was too spooked to make conversation anyway. They sat back to back, staring out into the darkness, watching the shadow of the dunes under the moonlight. Tut rarely slept well. His legs had bothered him since he was a child, so each movement tended to make him wince. But now he was letting out whimpers, even cries. Ebi hated seeing his king like this. It was the only time you could fully see the pain, and this was even more pain than usual. A cloud passed over the moon. Ebi yawned. He yearned for sleep, but that could not come until he returned the king safely to camp. He leaned back ever so slightly to adjust his weight against the Hittite's back. The Hittite was sitting rigid, as if his whole body had turned to solid stone. Ebi whispered, You see something? The Hittite's silence was enough to confirm. Ebi reached for his dagger. He'd never been as skilled an archer as the pharaoh. My king, he whispered, it is here. Tut tossed in his sleep, drowning Ebi's words with another pained whimper. Ebi adjusted the grip of the blade in his hand as he turned to face the Hittite side of the desert. There was nothing there, no glint of golden eyes or twitching tail, just darkness. A shape darted at him from the side. Ebi barely managed to leap away from it. The Hittite was not as lucky. The monster tackled the man, sinking its teeth into his already injured shoulder. It flung itself forward, flipping both of them into a somersault before throwing the spy to the ground, teeth still clamped on his throat. Battle-hardened as he was, Ebi's mouth fell open. The Hittite twitched and writhed in the deadly jaws, clawing weakly at the beast's strange neck. Ebi shouted Tut's name, though his voice broke halfway through. He ran at the creature. He had no hope of saving the Hittite, but perhaps he could use the monster's distraction to his advantage. He leapt onto the beast's back, thrusting his dagger deep into the muscle of its shoulder. The monster dropped the Hittite and swiveled its head to look at him. Its searing hiss chilled Ebi to the bone. 
He shouted Tut's name again, but the king still did not wake. Eby pulled his dagger out of the beast's shoulder and thrust it in again on the other side. The monster let out a roar of fury and the head lashed out at him. Eby jumped backward. The good news was he escaped the beast's bite. The bad news was he'd lost the dagger in the process. It was still wedged in the monster's shoulder. The leopard face hissed at him. Eby flinched, barely able to keep himself from running as he faced down the beast unarmed. The long neck coiled backwards on itself, an impossible angle for an ordinary animal. The feline jaws took hold of the dagger with its teeth and pulled it out, tossing it away. The monster licked its chops with a forked tongue. It stepped over the now still Hittite as it strolled closer. Eby was unsurprised that the spy had not survived, but there was one detail that made his breath die in his throat. The Hittite's lips were blue, like he'd been bitten by a cobra. Eby realized suddenly that the monster wasn't just as fast and agile as a snake. It was venomous, too. Coming up, the god awakens and tries to slay a monster. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. Eby stared down the long-necked leopard, wishing he was fast enough to grab the dagger the beast had tossed aside, but any sudden movement would invite the monster to strike out with its venomous fangs. Eby shouted over his shoulder, trying again to wake the boy king who slept not far away. Eby had little concern for his own safety, but the safety of all Egypt lay with its king. He could not let the pharaoh be murdered by some foreign beast in the Red Sands, too far away from mummification to preserve his remains. The monster roared. Eby roared right back. The animal looked at him, puzzled. Heartened, Eby bellowed again as he backed towards Tut. Away, you demon! Do you not see? This is the god on Earth, your rightful king. The beast blinked at him. If it was intimidated by Eby's assertion, it gave no sign. The campfire cast shadows in its pitiless golden eyes. It kept coming. Eby held his arms out in front of him, hoping that Sekhmet and Bastet would be kind enough to lend him their strength to defend their pharaoh. Only with the blessings of the gods could he be able to hold back such a creature with his bare hands. He prayed aloud. 
I reject the minion of Set in all its forms. He shall not harm me, and he shall not harm the pharaoh. I stomp on him, I cast him out, I cut him with the spear of truth. The beast sprang at him, fangs slick with venom. Ebi rolled away, barely stopping himself before the fire. He stumbled to his feet, fear and desperation making his head swim. He grabbed one of the flaming wooden planks and brandished it at the beast. I reject the minion of Set in all its forms. He shall not harm me, and he shall not harm the pharaoh. I stomp on him, I cast him out, I cut him with the spear of truth. Ebi dashed forward, thrusting the flaming wood at the beast. Its ears flattened to its head as it roared and spat venom. Ebi swung again. I reject the minion of Set in all its forms. He shall not harm me, and he shall not harm the pharaoh. I stomp on him, I cast him out, I cut him with the spear of truth. The snake neck coiled tightly. It struck out, shimmering fangs hurtling towards him. Something whistled past Ebi's ear. An arrow struck the monster's eye. It screeched in rage and alarm, rearing back. Its neck twisted and coiled in a way that Ebi had seen asps do when they were pinned by a larger predator. Ebi's gaze whipped away from the creature to see Tut knocking another arrow. His king was always a great shot, but he had no more than a breath before the beast recovered. It rushed at Tut, a flurry of coiling serpent neck and feline claws. The pharaoh was in no shape to get away. He cried out as the beast slammed into him on his injured side. Ebi ran after the monster, smashing the flaming board against its head again and again. He prayed all the while. I reject the minion of Set in all its forms. He shall not harm me and he shall not harm the pharaoh. This was so wrong, so absurd. This was not how kings died. He would not allow it. The leopard head was snapping at Tut, trying to get a hold of his neck. Ebi dropped the board and grabbed the beast by its short, round ears, pulling it back as far as he could. It hissed and spat. Sizzling venom hit the sand by Tut's side. Ebi kept pulling, yanking the beast's horrible head around to face him. I stomp on him. I cast him out. The monster's jaws opened wide. Ebi could feel his grip on its ears slipping. It would break free in a moment. Then he would be defenseless. Just one exhausted and spent man between this beast and the pharaoh. Suddenly, an arrow slammed through the roof of its mouth, straight into its brain. Ebi felt the monster's great weight get even heavier in his hands. The leopard body crashing to the ground with the nearly tangled snake neck following. Ebi stared at the beast's furry head, now stuck in an eternal snarl. He turned to look at Tut, who was still holding his bow across his body, understandably shocked that he'd made the shot. Ebi let out a wild laugh. <laughs> a very interesting target, Pharaoh. Tut laughed so hard he winced, clutching his side. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? He gestured at Ebi, inviting him to come over. Help me stand. Ebi slid his arms beneath Tut's shoulders and began to lift. 
When the king stood, Ebi realized he wasn't letting go. He hugged him back, gentle but firm, being careful of Tut's injured side. They stayed like that for a long moment, embracing in the light of the slowly rising sun. Tut stepped back, straightening his spine. <clears throat> now, the chariot. Ebi nodded his agreement and got to work. He put out the fire, packed up the camp, and helped Tut get into his harness on the chariot. Ebi rebalanced the horses so only one led in the front. And home they went, having escaped, no, having defeated chaos. Ebi was relieved. Ebi was content. He did not know that the pharaoh was hiding a wound from him. He did not know that within a week he would be dead, felled by an infection that his frail body couldn't fight. He did not know that Tut would be poorly embalmed because he was far from home. He didn't know that Tut's successor would steal his opulent tomb for himself, leaving him a tiny set of chambers in the Valley of the Kings. He did not know that those that came after would erase Tutankhamun's legacy along with his zealot fathers. Ebi did not know that chaos would soon reign. All he knew in this moment was that they had defeated a monster the likes of which they had never seen before. Once again, the boy king was a hero, a slayer of monsters, a good pharaoh, which was all Ebi could hope for. Ancient Egyptians faced danger in almost every moment of their lives. The searing desert heat and flooding Nile brought death by burning or by drowning. You could be eaten by crocodiles or a hungry hippopotamus. One wonders sometimes how their culture survived at all. Yet they thrived, acting as one of the ancient world's most powerful nations for almost 30 centuries. They thrived not in spite of the dangers they faced, but because of them. The desert provided a natural protection against invasion from sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. The Nile's flooding created a fertile oasis that allowed for year-round agriculture. When we keep this duality in mind, it's easier to understand why the monster we now call the Serpopard was used as both an emblem of protection and a symbol of chaos for the ancient Egyptians. In its wild iteration, it was subdued by the heroic and powerful pharaoh. In its tamed form, it appeared on the ancient equivalent of makeup compacts and even talismans for children. Within Egypt, the domesticated serpapard was actually a reminder of the power of their state. Egypt competed heavily with rival civilizations to both their north and south, expanding and defending its territory as best it could. Once it conquered its neighbors, it enslaved them, and depicting these subdued enemies as snarling, slithering beasts made their conquering seem a little more noble. Kings, after all, slay monsters. And it's much easier when the monsters don't look like you.
Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next time with another Egyptian monster. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Alex Button, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jen Rache, edited by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Travis Clark. I'm Vanessa Richardson.